Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Howlin' Hoops podcast. As always, it's Kyle and Tom here, and we're going to break down some of the most recent games that uh, just just happened. Wake Forest and Virginia Tech, and then we'll give you a little bit of a preview into uh, this coming week's games against UVA and good old Syracuse. So, Tom, let's let's get into this. So, Wake Forest's game last week, we really didn't we really didn't know what to expect. I know you and I talked a little bit about how both teams were pretty evenly matched across the board. It was just going to be a matter of who made the the shots when it mattered the most. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that NC State did a pretty decent job at, you know, making making good defensive plays throughout the game, forcing 17 turnovers, limiting Hunter Salas, who I know we talked about a lot, is a, a very, very good shooter, limiting him to only 12 points and forcing somebody else to step up in his place. Granted, uh, Carr, you know, he he lit us up. I mean, he was super efficient. 28 points, 10 of 13, three of four from the three point line. I mean, that guy, he was, he was tough. And it was, I feel like one of those games where we, you know, how state always tries to keep the good players in check, but somehow they'll still be able to score a lot. I think this was a game that we really did a great job of limiting the primary options that wake has, but yet we allowed somebody else to try to beat us. And I think that was truthfully the ultimate deciding factor in the game to limit Hunter Salas uh, from going from getting hot. Uh, uh, Kevin Miller, I mean, Cam Hildreth. I mean, we had the, I guess the playmakers on defense to force them in making bad decisions and bad shots, enabling us, I think, to pull away late and, figure out a way to win after kind of being down in that first half. Yeah. And some of Salas's uh, struggles was was foul trouble. He only played 28 minutes. He averages like uh, somewhere around 35, 36 minutes a game. Um, He really wasn't able to get in a flow. I mean, he picked up three in the first half and, you know, we did a really good job on Cam and uh, Boopy Miller, just not letting them get uh, easy looks at the rim. You know, we, really did a good job staying in front of the ball, especially in that second half. I mean, that's how he made a run. Like all of their shot attempts were in the last, you know, four or five seconds of shot clock or an offensive rebound. And, you know, yeah, Carr had 28. Um, but a lot of that for him, at least, was when I mean, we talked about it, that, you know, Dennis was a mismatch for him. And he's their four man, so – our defense is to switch one through four. So they were just going at him whenever Horn or Marcel or Taylor would switch on to him because he's six or seven inches taller than him. So, <laughs> but we did a fantastic job, especially in the second half of staying in front of the ball. And that led to turnovers. It led to easy passes for us. And it all, all in all, a big, big, big win for us. Big win, big win for sure. I think, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think me, me, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit before, but Keats getting ejected at that point in the game, it was a, honestly, I think it was a great time for that to happen. And it wasn't too late when the game was already kind of out of hand. It was, we weren't getting a couple calls here and there. And it seemed like the going was getting a lot tougher as the game was going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no, eject, you don't really want, anybody to get ejected but i think keats getting ejected and really getting pissed off was set it i think it definitely set the tone for the second half where we kind of came out uh you know guns ablazing and we were we didn't seem as maybe timid or frustrated in the second half because keats i think i'm sure probably told the guys hey look not everything's going to go our way. We got to find a way to, you know, fight through that with adversity. And nobody did that better than our good old boy, Benny, Benny Middlebrooks. Good <laughs> Lord. 
That man is a spark plug when you need it. Yeah, uh, Middlebrooks did a good job. You know, Burns was dealing with some sickness, you know, thrown up on the bench. Um, so it was good to see him and uh, Mo, you know, come in, give us energy off the bench. I mean, Mo had eight, eight points, 13 boards, a couple steals, you know. Those two bring a ton, a ton of energy off the bench. Um, and, and, you know, going back to what you said about, you know, Keats's eject ejection, I think it, It's, it not only set a tone for the team, but it set a tone for the crowd that any type of call, the crowd got right back into the game. You know, we'll talk about it later, but at times in the in the Virginia Tech game, when things weren't going our way, it was silent, silent in PNC. And that wasn't the case for the weight game, where it was one of the loudest games that I've experienced as in my time as a state fan since I've been a student. Yeah, it's it's definitely up there. I mean, obviously with Duke and Carolina in town, it's gonna, you know, tensions will be high. But, you know, Wake is that also in town rival. So they will or in state rival, I should say. But, you know, I believe those three opponents that we play year in and year out. Those are going to be our loudest games because there's is so much tension and so much riding on rivalries and the importance of these rivalry games. And it was even if state lost the game, I think it I still would have been pleased with how we fought in the second half because mm -hmm. first half, I know it was a little bit sloppy and I think it both sides was a little bit sloppy, but truthfully, you know, you love to see a close competitive rivalry game. So even if state comes out on top or not, you still want that. And especially making, getting the fans rallying around the team a lot better than we have in recent years. This is like our most talented team in quite some time. And I think this is the year that we can really make a big run and make a, make a statement per se in when it comes March. Well, the AC tournament at least is wide open other than, I mean, if somehow Carolina screws up and loses the game in the AC tournament, I mean, it is wide open. I, there are what five, six teams competing for three spots mm -hmm. in the top four. I mean, that's setting up for a good, but I mean, it, regardless, we're going to have to, to win some of these tougher games on the road. I mean, like, especially the two games we're talking about this week, those are both going to be big, big games talking about our resume, which right now is a little bit lackluster. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little, it's not too pleasant, but it's not anything to be. Well, right know, now we're 10. It's not the ugly. It's not the ugliest thing in the world, but for, for March madness contention, it, yeah. we can definitely clean it up a little bit for sure. Yeah, because right I, now we're the tenth rated uh, ACC teams in the net rankings, which is crazy. But yeah, we're gonna have to. Do, we got some work to do for sure yeah. to build our resume. But I think you know, I think state thrives when people don't believe in them, and I think when we don't have a lot of expectations, that's where we kind of can fly under the radar and kind of finagle our way into making things happen. Yeah, that's just my perspective from uh, NC State fans perspective, but I think if you put expectations and you put the spotlight on NC State, it we we kind of shrivel up. And yep. if we can kind of fly under the radar, find a way to win games when we need to, sneak our way into the tournament, that's I think our bread and butter. So good, good, good weight game. I mean, tough, tough weight game. I mean, we 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 found a way to win, and that's all that matters. On our Saturday game against VT, a little bit of a different story. You know, we I believe we we really didn't shoot the ball horribly, but it was yet another display of this Kevin Keats philosophy offensive philosophy where you run pretty much the same play over and over the same set play over and over and over again. BT looked like they had been scouting us since like four years ago. I mean, they, they 
their defense looked very, very good in making sure that they limited our offensive production. And that really started with limiting DJ Burns' ability to be the X factor and the guy to make extra passes and find open open guys for wide open shots. It was it was tough. And I, and VT did their homework and you know kudos to them because we really didn't find a way to answer, especially in the later half of the game. Yeah. Um talking about Burns's recent struggle, um turning the ball over especially, um I noticed it it actually started in the weight game that instead of doing what Virginia did, which was doubling on the catch, they doubled once DJ put the ball down. Mm-hmm. Both for Wake and Virginia Tech did it. And it seemed like it threw something off for him where he wasn't able to be as precise with his passes. He was a little more loose with the ball, but that 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 should be I mean, that's um what am I trying to say? That is normal for a big guy you know they're going to be more composed when the ball isn't on the ground you know when they're not trying to dribble um and yeah i mean i agree with you they did their homework because they did the exact same thing that wake did and wake i felt like did a good job with burns i mean he had three turnovers i mean he he shot the ball pretty well but the three turnovers is the big thing because dj has shown the ability to not turn the ball over um in conference play at least except past these last two games but mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it was very sloppy on both ends i mean 38 turnovers between the two teams um and yeah it's the second time in four games where we win the turnover battle and still can't find a way um to win it um and you know some of that is because I think they had 15 turnovers at halftime. It was at least, I think it was at least 14. Yeah, and they ended the game with 20. They ended it with 20, yeah. That was the big difference. We weren't able to get out to a big lead um, despite all the turnovers because we also had turnovers ourselves. And, you know, some of that is also because we made our first three in this game ending a 65-minute drought of not hitting a three going back into the Louisville game. 65 minutes of basketball. I mean, PNC erupted when we made a three. Everybody knew. Yeah. Oh. Oh, my gosh, man. I mean... Just, just, I mean, really just so sloppy. I, I do want to point out uh, one one person in these uh, in the weight game and in the Virginia Tech game that was was pretty big for us, yet we just really couldn't get him going very much is, is uh, Diara. I mean, he is he's proven that he can he can get a rebound whenever he so desires, both on the offense and the defensive end. And he Early on in the season, I wasn't 100% sure what that would look like because he almost seemed a little timid and not really sure what his role was. And I think at this point of the season, he has become more and more comfortable with the idea like, hey, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be the go to guy to score the ball. I'm not going to be the guy who is going to get all the open looks down low where I'm I'm going to I might be able to get a wing shot here. If they leave me open on a three, I might take it. But he doesn't seem to be forcing shots a lot, but he's more focused about the team and about getting rebounds right. and providing passes as we get on in transition. And I really like that about him because he he really is a scrappy player. I just I just wish that we could util, utilize him more. It's just I feel like his minutes get numbered because Keats just so desperately wants to put DJ Burns back in the game where DJ is less versatile than him, than Tiara and Middlebrooks combined. Yeah, it, it is frustrating. And I I know DJ has been getting some backlash. He turned off all his comments on social media, but I mean, he has not been the same guy. And I mean, I've been saying this all year. If his offense isn't good, he should not be on the floor. His defense is atrocious. 
whether he it's play, he cannot play those high pick and rolls. No, he's too slow, and teams are just exposing him. And you know, Diara and Middlebrooks both provide a lot more versatility. Yeah, when Burns is in the game against a team like when we go play Virginia, I love I love Burns getting extended minutes mm-hmm. when he's playing. When we're playing teams like there's there's not really good matchups for him other than Virginia that I know in the ACC. I mean, we need to lower his minutes even more. It sucks, but it's the truth. Yeah, I mean, I know he's a fan favorite and everything, but we he just he just he just does not look comfortable out there when now that teams are in their second year trying to figure him out. Last year was his first year. People really didn't know how to play him. They re- didn't really have a whole lot of tape, and you know, then they kind of paid the price for his ability to score because they didn't think he was going to be able to produce that well. Nobody and brought double teams people, on him. And now they're bringing double teams on him as soon as he puts the ball on the floor, and then he can't keep his eyes up, and it, it's it's tough. I mean, his big spin move doesn't work when they bring the double from the baseline. Like it, it no. it's just not as effective. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, Virginia, Virginia Tech also, you know, we'll talk about this too, but I mean, they scored 33 points in the last eight minutes of the game. So state is, you know, battling back and forth. Nobody can really get a comfortable, you know, eight point lead here and there. It's a very back and forth all game long. State's not shooting horribly, but it's hard to beat somebody when they shoot 62 and a half percent from the field, making their last nine shot attempts, their backcourt duo and Couture and Padula. I mean, they showed, they showed us in that game that even though they didn't score throughout the game, really until the very end that they are probably the, one of the best backcourts in the country because of how their ability to create opportunities for their teammates, drawing so much attention to themselves that they're able to find open teammates, but also being able to score whenever they really so choose. They're very good shooters, and they can find anywhere on the floor to score, just like an R.J. Davis type. Yeah, they, um, you know, it, we didn't have the same level of defensive intensity when talking about on-ball defense compared to that mm-hmm. weight game. We were not able to stop just simple straight line drives by Padula where he, he would draw help and then kick out to, I know Barron hit a three towards the end, Couture hit a three towards the end, Nickel hit a three towards the end. I mean, they were just wide open, uh, you know, wide open shot attempts off of straight line drives. And that's frustrating because you're not going to beat anybody if you can't stop a straight line drive. Right. Yeah, the defense defense just kind of broke down at the end once they kind of started hitting a few shots, and it just kind of went downhill from there. I, I do want to bring this one point up. Thomas, I know you and I are kind of talked about this. In this game, we saw, we saw Cam Woods get some playing time, and then all of a sudden, for the first time in about, God, it must have been like 10 games or something, we see good old Breon Pass walk out there and he had a three. He had a three, which was great. <laughs> but at the in the back of your mind, you're everybody in Wolfpack Nation is thinking the same exact thing when they see that happen. Where the hell is MJ Rice? Yeah. Um I there has to be something going on. Um you know, my seats at the game are student section on the sideline near the scores table. And, um, you know, I realized I noticed during introductions that he was not moving. He was not clapping, cheering his teammates on nothing. And then at halftime, you know, the teams out there, you know, shooting warm up shots. He did not attempt the shot. He just stood there with his hood on. And that's what he did the entire game. So there is something going on. And and some of that can can be contributed to the fact that he's not playing. So he is pissed off. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he's not getting minutes, I mean, I mean, of course he's going to be mad, and that's going to lead to probably him transferring. Yeah. I mean, it's it's sad to see your, your best transfer this year be so upset and almost act like he's not part of the team all year long, even when he did come back. No, when he first came back, he he sh- he had energy and would stand up, you know, cheer on his teammates. And when they when a guy would come off the floor, he'd stand up, give him high five and whatnot. But it's just, I mean, watch him on the bench. He doesn't move, doesn't do anything, mm-hmm. shows no emotion. Yeah, it's it's tough to see your. It's tough to see that guy really take go like take a complete 180 it's tough to see because you hope nothing really is going on but at the at the root of it you definitely think something is and it he'll probably transfer out next year because of his limited playing time absolutely even even if like which is crazy because next year i mean we're gonna lose horn we're gonna lose um casey we're losing we're gonna lose Burns, so we'll we'll have minutes available. It's just whether or not he trusts Keats now. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Oh man! All right. Well, those are so. Those are those games. A uh, little recap of those games from uh, the previous week. We'll now move. We'll segue into our UVA preview. So obviously. We've already played UVA this year. Uh, State hits the road twice this week. We got a convincing win against UVA at home. Although UVA is very good at home, is very good at their place. And so the Pack are looking to answer back after splitting their games last week. And hopefully this right here can be a very valuable road win at UVA to beat the Who's on the road and as we inch closer and closer to March to make sure that we can solidify our standing Uh, looking for, I would say let's look for DJ Burns to hopefully find a rhythm. I know he's been out of sync the last couple of games. It's been a little challenging, hopefully like the last UVA game where Tom and I have said before, DJ Burns looks to thrive, I guess, against UVA all the time. So hopefully Keats will have a good game plan as far as how to attack UVA like they did last time with DJ Burns always keeping his eyes up. Hopefully UVA didn't do their homework as much as Wake and VT did, but time will only tell. I mean, hopefully Casey, Casey has slowly started, Casey more so slowly started to come back into his ways of, you know, being able to score the ball efficiently. He really is a key part in our offense and really being able to shoot the ball so hopefully these last couple games that he's had, especially kind of getting some, I would, I would for lack of better words, trash points at the end of the VT game, hopefully that can boost his confidence a little bit and being able to score the ball effectively at UVA will need, will need some big minutes from him to try to just even take the pressure off of DJ Horn. You know I mean? DJ Horn's taking, taking like 15 to 19 shots a game. Can we find a way to get him almost off ball to where he doesn't feel like he needs to shoot the ball more and have Casey get some open shots? I mean, I'm hoping, hoping that's the case when we get when we travel up there this week. Yeah, and you know, I kind of don't agree with your statement of it with Casey because of the fact that you know it's going to be a revenge game for him. We really don't want him to force the ball, force shots. Um, Recently, he has been playing better in terms of letting the game come to him and not forcing shots. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if he's taken you know ten to twelve shots, but they're step in threes, they're they're uh, attacking a closeout and get to the basket, and get into the rim because you know UVA's rim protection isn't great. So I feel like we can take advantage of that. Um, then I'm fine with it, but I just don't want him, you know, shooting fadeaway jumpers fadeaway long twos like that those are terrible shots and you know some of it i mean he's been 
horrific offensively. Jaden Taylor has um, as of late. It, it some of that comes down to to him, you know, horns try, having to force a bunch of shots, mm -hmm. fifteen to nineteen shots a game, because Taylor's been so bad on the offensive end. Man can't hit water if he was standing on a boat. I know, and and I mean, if if I were the coach, I understand, you know. Jaden thinks he's this ACC defensive player of the year candidate or whatever. I don't give a crap. If you can't score, you can't play. And Michael O'Connell can play defense almost as well as him. And is he's at least given us something on the offensive end, whether it's creating for others. You know, he's he's been able – he's shown the ability to get to the basket, shown his ability to hit mid-range shots. And, you know, earlier this year against Louisville, he had a great three-point shooting game. So – if Jaden is not giving us good minutes on the offensive end, he does not need to be in the game. He doesn't. And a, a funny, a funny statement. I was talking to my uh, future father-in-law uh, after the after the VT game, and just watching Jaden Taylor was so so frustrating. And I was talking to him a little bit, and he gave me this funny quote that I would like to share. Now he said. The way Jaden Taylor drives to the basket, it makes him look like he is an octopus falling out of a tree. The guy flails his arms all over the place, thinking he's going to get a foul call, and it he just he looks like he just looks humiliated because he's trying to get a call and he ends up looking stupid because they're not going to call anything because he's just screaming at the top of his lungs. I got fouled, and it's just—it's not a pretty sight. You feel bad for him almost. He just looks like, just looks uncoordinated when he drives to the basket almost. Yeah, and man, he, he's been so frustrating to watch. But I mean, if he finds a groove, then this team does have a chance of doing something. But it all comes down to everybody playing well at the same time you know mm -hmm. um i think one person that we need to really watch out for and i would i hope i think you would agree with this is is beekman you know he only had 12 points we only held him to 12 points when we played him at home but people i think will overlook the fact that he also had 10 assists so he had a quiet quiet double double he is pretty much that valuable presence for UVA's offense to run the way it does because so many people focus their eyes and attention on him and McNeely that he can drive to the basket at will. And as soon as we collapse on him, it's just like Couture and Padula. All he's got to do is kick out to somebody else who will find a way to score the basketball. So yeah. Yeah, that's so, a big, uh, big oh, thing that we to watch out for. Yeah, Reese uh, currently is second in the nation in the assist rate, which is basically the percentage of baskets made while he's on the court is assisted by him, which is 43%. So 43% of Virginia's made baskets while he's on the court is his assists, which is insane. Yeah, it, it's insane. And yeah, you know, you talked a little bit. You mentioned uh, Isaac McNeely. Um, he is a knockdown shooter, and he's shooting shooting forty nine percent on the year. So yeah, we we will ex probably expect him to hit a couple more um, at home. But if we're able to, you know, limit just you know get up in him, you know, ball pressure, ball pressure, ball pressure. To not allow him a ton of open looks. Um, I feel good. I feel pretty good about the game. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I think another big part of the PAX win against UVA earlier this month was our was our man MJ Rice. He he provided some solid minutes. He played about I think he played about 10, 10 12, maybe I, I forget, I forget how much. I, I looked it up earlier, but don't remember but he had about seven points couple rebounds i mean he he provided 
exactly what Wolfpack Nation was hoping for in MJ Rice this year. I mean, it was a great game, and he showed that he was a valuable asset on the court, not only you know for our team, but he was also able to, I guess, defend very well against UVA as well because he is a very good defensive player, and he provides, again... Like Middlebrooks and Diara, he honestly, I believe, provides a good enough spark for us to be successful. And it stinks to see Kevin Keats not utilizing him in that way, which leads us back to what we were saying earlier, which something has to be going on because behind closed doors, because MJ Rice is very valuable to this team. And it's it's sad to see him not getting the minutes that he deserves or that we think he deserves he's too good of a player to not see the court you know it's not like you know people always compare like isaiah miranda to him mm-hmm. miranda was is not and they're nowhere close to the same player because miranda was just not meant for for D one basketball i mean he already left his oklahoma state team Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, something has to be going on because he's too good not to play and whatever it is, we'll eventually hear it. I, I assume, but yeah, I wish he could play cause he is super versatile in defensive end and is a guy who can get to the rim, finish through contact and just provide us some scoring. I mean, right now. We are in conference play. We are dead last in three-point percentage, and we are 11th in two-point percentage. Second in free throw percentage, which is surprising. That's crazy surprising. 81% in conference play from the line. Holy crap, that's insane. But, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Big opportunity. Quad one game, need them all. Yeah, we we need we need everyone we can get. What do you uh, what would you say your prediction is for this game? Would you say it again like first team to sixty wins or what, so what, would, the, what would you think this would look like? So the spread right now is four and a half. Um, I told you earlier that I subscribed to this Kim Palm thing, and they have the mm-hmm. prediction of the game at sixty three or sixty seven to sixty three Virginia. So I think. I think that is a a. I actually think it's going to be first to seventy wins because Virginia does a good job, uh, us scoring um at home, seventy five against Georgia Tech in a win, sixty five against Virginia Tech in a win, uh seventy seven, and a win against Louisville. So I I would say first to seventy, mm-hmm. um wins. So if if we can hit that mark, I feel pretty good. But we'll have to wait and see. You know. Yeah, we'll wait and see. I mean, I would love to see a Wolfpack win. Realistically, playing a tough Virginia team on the road, like my my any road game in realistic any road part game. Of my brain, yeah, the realistic part of my brain says that UVA will find a way to win, and but the but the passionate cardiac pack part of my brain tells me that maybe we can find a way. Hopefully, find a way to eke out a win i mean we'll we'll see we'll see how it is and yeah any any road game in this conference is going to be tough like it's not they're not a given there is no givens on the road in this conference it's not for the faint of heart it is a war every possession so yeah hopefully we can get it though hopefully 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 our second road game of the week uh at syracuse what might start out as a Q1 away game for the pack, uh, obviously things could change over the course of the season, but if we could get a solid win on the road against the Syracuse team that has historically been, I would say, a pretty dominant powerhouse at home, it would be a major, major confidence boost for this state team that somehow finds unconventional ways to win and Unfortunately, some unconventional ways to lose, I would say. It's 
Syracuse is currently sitting at sixth place. We have similar records right now. I think they're it's Tuesday night, so I think they're actually playing against Florida State right now. They they definitely have a chip on their shoulder from their big big buzzer beater win against Miami at home. I know they're going to continue to continue to kind of keep that momentum going. What's an interesting fact that I just recently saw is NC State has lost its last five games to the Orange. We're three and seven in the last 10 matchups. And we're seeking our first win against Syracuse since February of 2020. That I mean, what in the world? Like I didn't I knew we had some pretty close games against Syracuse, but I didn't realize we hadn't beat them since 2020. Granted, they have been they are a solid team year in and year out. And I don't think we really ever give them enough credit for how well they do year after year. They never really seem to have a down year, even when they might not have all the pieces working right, but they do bring in a good amount of talent. And for some reason, we just, in the last few years, we just see, haven't really seemed to beat them. I mean, losing five straight. I mean, it's- uh, yeah, some of that is because, We've only played them once. So we had the really bad year, which we played them twice. The year before that, when we had a pretty decent team, um, we played them once, and it was at Syracuse. Or no, we played them twice that year. Yeah, we played them twice. We played, Yeah, we played them twice, like, re... Recently. And then we, we only played them once last year at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um. Jarkel had a triple double and we lost because Turquavion shot terribly. <laughs> um the year before twice with a bad team, and then the year before that, I believe, was Syracuse's big run into like what the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight when they had like uh Buddy Bayheim, Jimmy Bayheim, um, Mark Dolajai. Like they they had a really good team that year. Mm-hmm. But this this team is different. This Syracuse team doesn't run the zone anymore um they play straight man to man and i do have some bad news regarding them um they just lost by 16 at home to florida state so they're gonna be pissed off (laughs) (laughs) they're going to be pissed off it's the worst news ever 85 to 69 loss um talk about a florida state team though man holy crap yeah, they've they've turned their season around. Uh, some of that's you know their team got got healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean they Syracuse is one of the worst three point shooting teams in the country. Um, they were one for fourteen against Florida State. They don't take a lot, but still one for fourteen is really bad. I'll get into some of that other some of that later, but yeah, I mean that's a tough loss for them, and they are going to be coming out firing against us i wouldn't be surprised if you know they shoot 50 percent from three against us i i wouldn't put a pass in obviously so you know they're always in the mix when we talk about the acc so obviously this is no rollover game especially since it's on the road in the jma wireless dome so hopefully hopefully state can find a way to identify mismatches build some form of team chemistry hopefully i feel like i'm feel like we still aren't quite clicking on all cylinders yet. Hopefully this week will be the ultimate tests for team chemistry. And hopefully we can sneak out a win against Syracuse this week. If we can realistically, if we can split maybe these road games this week, I would feel very confident in our ability to, Play well the rest of the season but this is if a we split and lose in like a close one i'll feel good but if, yeah. we, if we split and lose one by 15 i'm not gonna feel good no they have to the they same have old, to same both the, yeah it's got to be less than a 10 point loss essentially like it, it's got to be that we have to we have to figure out a way to play with the cards we're dealt and so hopefully we can find a way to split at reasonably split yeah I, I would feel i would feel happy about that because two row games this week is is 
in a row, very tough, very tough to kind of play into. And so hopefully we can find a way. Yeah. Um, I'll get into start talking about some of the Syracuse players. Um, Syracuse is a very big team, um, which doesn't really bode well for us. I'd say, um, their average height is six foot six compared to our six foot four average height. And we have three trees um, in Middlebrooks, uh, Burns, and Diara. Um, but yeah, it just shows like they're going to have a height advantage in every position. And that starts with uh, Judah Mintz, six foot four guard who's really, really long. So. You know, he's not the tallest, but he plays like he's six foot seven, six foot eight. Um, he's getting some first round buzz in the NBA draft, averaging 18 points, three boards, and four assists. Not really known to be the best three point shooter. He doesn't take a lot. I think he's only taken about 40 attempts on the year. Um, yeah, 46. Um, so he's not he, he's he's gonna take them when they're open. He's shooting about thirty five percent, but he's not gonna look to take a ton of threes. Um, the main way he's gonna try and beat us is off the bounce, getting to the rim and shooting in the mid range. Um, he's taking one hundred and thirty more twos compared to his threes this year, so he's looking to score and create off the bounce. Um, you know, we I would expect Jaden Taylor to be on him most of the night. He can match up well. Um, Height-wise, length-wise, physicality-wise. Um, but as good as Judah is offensively, the same could be said about his defense. He's currently tied for first in the ACC in steals. Um, he's tied with Reese Beekman, elite defender, and his teammate Malik Brown at 2.2 per game. He really like, likes to use his length to get into passing lanes, and he is an excellent on-ball defender as every single player on the Syracuse roster is a good on ball defender. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean for him oh, another thing they have to do is keep him off the free throw line. I'll touch on that a little later, but and yes, he he is their heart and soul. Yeah, he sounds like it. He, he he's a he's a he's an excellent player. So keep him in check. We can maybe find a way to win. Another guy JJ Starling, 6'4 transfer from Notre Dame. Very, very electric score. Pretty much scoring bunches in their game against Miami. He capped off a 22-point performance. There he is a former five-star caliber player. Unfortunately for him, he hasn't quite shot the ball really efficiently on the year, but he is definitely one of the most premier shooters that uh this ACC conference has seen look for him to be a major factor in this game so if we leave him open you know in college basketball anything can happen you know we saw it with Carr with Wake going yep. off for 28 we shouldn't expect anything less than maybe Starling finding a way to score the ball at will when we're putting all of our focus on mints. Yeah. Um, same can be said about Chris Bell, um, six foot six guard, who is their best three point shooter on the team at 38% on the year. Um, the majority of his shots come from behind the arc. So you just have to be aware of him. Um, Syracuse, like I said, is one of the worst three point shooting teams in the nation. So we just can't give him easy looks. Um, and then two more players that I want to mention, um, Quadier Copeland and Malik Brown. I already I mentioned Malik briefly earlier. Um, they're two guys that are somewhat similar, um, both extremely versatile defenders who are great on the glass. Copeland and Brown are extremely active on the offensive glass, ranking inside the top 10% of all college basketball players in terms of offensive rebounding efficiency. They are the ones that allow for the Syracuse team to get extra possessions um and you know Syracuse is just super inefficient so it takes them a lot of shots to get to their scoring average Mm -hmm. um and that is one of the keys to the game um you know limiting extra possession for Syracuse whether it's live ball turnovers or offensive rebounds um 
we have to limit the number of attempts they get. As in, they're 238 in effective field goal percentage, indicating that, like I said, it takes many more shots to get to their 75 points per game average. Um, against Florida State, they shot 44%. And that, but that's including their one for 14 from the from the three-point line. So, yeah, I mean, it, mm -hmm. it took them 52 shots to get to 69 points. That's not great. I mean, no. I think I think a big part of this, preventing this, like we kind of said before, Diara, that is the guy to be a dominant force on the defensive end. Yeah, the defensive he's, very, he's very scrappy. Him and Michael O'Connell, very scrappy players that find ways to do the little things right and prevent second, third, fourth chance opportunities from the offense to make sure that we are not giving up extra possessions night in and night out. O'Connell and Diara do a very good job of that. And like something you mentioned before, we got to beat Syracuse off the bounce. They, since this year is very new without Jim Beheim, you know, they are, they play very, a very high man to man defense in that half court. And especially since they are long, it's going to feel like we can't get past half court because of how, or even just get even close to the basket because of how long they are and how long they stretch. They're not looking to stop the drive and help. They're looking to get steals in the passing lanes. So little pump fakes here, little pump fakes there, catch them off guard, catch them leaning too much backdoor passes all the way through I mean, you got to go back to just simple basketball where, you know, you do all the little technical things right. You can find a way to beat this very long and athletic Syracuse team and prevent yourself from committing silly turnovers. I mean, we have to be able to beat them off the bounce, get to the basket, and then force them into helping to allow a DJ Horn, to allow – God rest his soul, Jaden Taylor, to allow Marcel ability to shoot the ball with nobody in their face. Yes. Get them get them get them to collapse and spread the floor. We got to move without the ball and pass like it's our livelihood on offense. That is how we have been successful in winning games. It's our offensive efficiency to move without the ball, pass and get open shots. We're not going to make all of them, but at least get some form of a good shot selection off. Yeah, and and you're mentioning the um, three-point shooting. We are dead last in the ACC right now in conference play, shooting 30% from three. Um, you know, hopefully that, because we have good shooters. We have guys like um, Casey, DJ, uh, DJ Horn and and you know even Dennis Parker showing the ability to knock down it at a pretty high clip. Sure. Um, so if we can just get them some open looks, um, we'll be in good shape. Um, one last thing I want to mention, and it, it's containing Judah Mintz without fouling. And yes, Jaden Taylor, I am talking to you. Do not foul because Judah is a fish. He flops a ton. He's looking to draw fouls, and he will embellish any type of contact on the offensive end. I mean, kicking the legs out, knocking the head up. He is very annoying when it comes to these type of things. And, I mean, even, like, on his mid-range pull-ups, he'll jump backwards to create contact, and he will complain to the officials every single time. Um, so yeah, keeping me off the free throw line and keeping our guards out of foul trouble is a key um, to that, to victory for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should maybe just give Judah Mintz his Oscar right now for the uh, ability okay. to do for his acting skills. <laughs> oh, Just give him the Oscar now. Uh, any uh, score prediction for this game or just kind of, are we just going in on a wing and a prayer? So, like I said about the Virginia game, the Ken Palm has us as a three-point underdog, 76-73 loss. Um, they're not too confident in us, but 
you know, we play a similar style to what Florida State does, you know. So if they have some success, I feel like we can have that same sort of success. So I feel like I'm more confident in this game than I am um, the Virginia game. I, I'd probably say about a 78-74 win is on the cards for us. Yeah, I agree. I agree with uh, being more confident about this in the UVA game. UVA playing, in, you know, we, they play in a smaller environment. They're they kind of thrive in that area of Syracuse is kind of like us, where they, you know, they play on a on a much bigger stage. And I think State can hopefully find a way to find a way to win in that game. I would kind of say the same thing. I'd probably go like. I'd probably say state wins like 81 to 76 or something like that. Something, something pretty, pretty close. I mean, it's not going to be a cakewalk. It, it will be a tough game. As long as we prevent multiple opportunities by Syracuse, I think we should be fine. Yep. All right, guys. Well, this has been another edition of the Howlin' Hoops podcast. We appreciate all of our listeners who tune in week after week. Uh, we love we love you guys, and uh, we are so thankful for the support. If you uh, haven't had the chance to already, please go follow follow us on X and on Instagram, and you can find our links there in our bio to kind of follow along with our podcast or we're stream on multiple different uh, platforms like Spotify and Apple podcasts guys. We really appreciate you listening. We, we, we love NC state basketball and we want to continue to keep this going throughout the rest of the year. So uh, we appreciate all the support. If you haven't already go like and follow and uh, we will see you guys next time. And with that, I will say Tom go back. Okay.